Thank you for listening to our podcast. I am sorry. Countless people have used those words. If we bump into someone in a grocery line, we will say, I'm sorry. A husband and a wife can have an argument, often over nothing of lasting importance, but the tempers flare and harsh words are spoken in the heat of the moment. After things cool down, the resolution might begin with the words, I am sorry. If there is a fender bender on the road, the person at fault may step out of their car, look at the damage they caused, and say, I am sorry. In the final moments of a criminal trial, the guilty person may make a statement. That statement often begins with, I am sorry. Regret, apology, sorrow, remorse. All of these words are associated with those three words, I am sorry. And while those words are powerful, healing, and comforting, they are not to be confused with the spiritual idea of repentance and forgiveness. It is that confusion that sometimes blinds us from understanding and appreciating many of the elements of Psalm 51. In our study of the Psalms, we have seen into the heart of a man that loved and worshipped God in a unique and powerful way. But we also know that David was not perfect, and that in his life he made some very bad choices. King David did something horrible. He had an affair with the wife of a close associate, Uriah the Hittite. To cover up the affair and the child that resulted, he had Uriah murdered. Nathan, a prophet of God, confronted David with his actions and helped him see the impact of his actions on his kingdom, on his family, on his personal relationships, and on himself, but most of all, on his relationship with God. How did David respond to this realization? The first verse of Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. The first idea of this psalm is one of the most challenging for many people, the idea of mercy. An enemy is defeated on the battlefield and has been captured. They chose to make war, and they have lost. They are disarmed, alone, and powerless to escape. Their fate is at the sole discretion of the victor. The captive has nothing of value to offer and is in no position to bargain or negotiate. They fall to their knees and beg for a favor they cannot buy, they do not deserve, nor could they earn. They can only beg for mercy. Most warriors understand that if they were to find themselves on a battlefield in this position, they would most likely be killed. But here, as David pleads for his life at this moment, he is pleading for mercy from that same helpless position. His only hope is to beg the favor from the God of love. He says in these opening words that he asks for mercy on the basis of the unmovable and inexhaustible love of God. David says he is in need. He expresses that in three ways here in the first two verses. He says, blot out, wash me, cleanse me. Nowhere in the psalm does David pull away from his actions, his guilt, or his shame. He makes no excuse, does not rationalize, 
does not minimize what he has done nor blame anyone else. What he does is express his request to have the stain of his actions removed. The phrase blot out is not a common figure of speech for us, but there is a modern equivalent. The modern term we sometimes use is redacted. The government will sometimes release documents that have words, names, or whole sections covered over with ink so that they cannot be read or identified. No matter how hard we stare or strain our eyes, we cannot read what has been marked out. When David pleads for mercy, he pleads that his sin be so covered over so that it can never be seen by God again. He also pleads to be clean again in very graphic terms. He asks God to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The first expression describes a cleaning process that is repeated and vigorous. David pleads for God to scrub him clean. The second pleads for God to keep it up until the stain is completely removed with no trace left of it whatsoever. The cleaning here is of an almost violent nature. One of the great advances in medical science was an understanding of infection. It took hundreds of years for doctors to realize that as they tried to heal a wound, they also could be spreading sickness to the patient because they had not washed their hands. Today, a surgeon will scrub his hands for a long time, front and back, over and over, with a brush, to make sure he carries no microscopic trace of bacteria, no agent of infection, into his patient. In a similar way, David pleads with God to scrub away any trace of his actions that might weaken their bond together. He wants no infection of sin to sicken his relationship with God. Many doctors thought the idea of an invisible substance on their hands that was making their patients sick was foolishness and insulting. There was great resistance to this idea, yet it was true. We could use this idea to help define the very idea of this thing called sin. Many people reject the concept or the idea of sin completely, but that does not make it less true. God has warned us about the toxic nature of sin, but not everyone listens. David knew the damage that his actions had caused him and his bond with God. Verses 3 and 4 say, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David says here that he knows he is guilty, and God knows he is guilty. But that is not the end of the story. This psalm is not just about a confession of wrong, but a plea for a cure. Listen as David seeks the solution. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me 
the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your willing spirit. Two major elements stand out in these words. First is that there is a need for a solution. David pleads that when God looks at him, that God would not see the wrong he had committed. David pleads that his God not associate his name and face with his terrible mistake. He again uses that idea of blotting it out, redacting that moment from his life so that it can never be seen again. The second is when David pleads with God to create in him a clean heart and a righteous spirit. There is a powerful example of these same elements associated with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. In the beginning of the book of Acts, Peter has an opportunity to preach to the very people that took part in the killing of Jesus. He tells them that the one they murdered was the chosen one of God, and that the stories that were spreading like wildfire through Jerusalem about Jesus being alive were true. God would not leave the one you murdered in the grave. He was alive. Their response is one of despair and fear. From Acts chapter 2, verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, anyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Look at the parallels with this and with David. Both situations involve a terrible crime and sin. Both David and Peter's audience have been confronted with their actions and how that action and attitude has become a breach between them and God. Both involve a cry of despair. The solutions offered included a removal of sin and the correction of the heart. David pleads with God to scrub him clean, Peter tells these desperate people, to be baptized for the removal of their sin. Peter tells them to repent, and David pleads that God create in him a clean heart. Baptism is often misunderstood, both in action and in purpose. If we were to place David at that moment of Peter's speech, David would be crying out for his soul to be scrubbed clean, and Peter's response that the way to wash that stain of sin away is to be baptized, an action so overwhelming that Paul later describes baptism as a burial. David wants his sin removed from God's sight, and Peter says baptism is completed for that very purpose, the forgiveness of sins. David also pleads for a change in his heart, and Peter says the same thing to his audience when he says they are to repent. This is not simply saying, I am sorry, or that someone regrets the action they have taken, but a commitment to change the course of their life. It signals a change in the values that drove them away from God to values and attitudes that would draw them closer to God. Both of these address the need for a cleaning away, the mark of sin, and a change of heart. David says towards the end of Psalm 51, For you will not delight in sacrifice, 
nor will I give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Many people do not feel they deserve God, and thus never seek out God's love or mercy. I have often heard people say, You don't know who I am or what I have done. Granted, that is true, but they know God, and God knows them. And God has provided a path back to him that is available for everyone, no matter the sin. The people Peter spoke to that day were the murderers of Jesus himself, and he offers them a solution. That solution Peter speaks of is also for us. After he tells them what they must do, he says this, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, anyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter says that what he just told them about forgiveness is for you and your children. What that means is that the statement he just made is a promise by God that is not bound by time. It is just as good today as it was the day Peter said it. The second statement is that it is for all who are far off. This promise is not bound by space, distance, culture, race, or social status. This is a promise made by God to us. A promise that he will blot out our sin like he blotted out David's and those that responded to Peter's message. Both Psalm 51 and Peter's speech in Acts 2 are messages of despair and of hope from despair. David pleads for a solution, and Peter gives us the answer. The past can be washed clean, leaving no trace of the sin. Our heart can be transformed by truth, honesty, and a love for the God of love. David later writes another song talking about this moment in his life. In future podcasts, we will talk about Psalm 32 and others that are connected with these events. But remember this, we are in need of the same thing that David begs God to do. Remove our past mistakes and help remake our heart. Then instead of saying, I am sorry, we can declare, I am clean. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want additional information, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on our website at truthseekers.org. That's truthseekers.org.